0: Every single aspect of worship is so important. Whenever we pray, that is so important. When we sing praises to our God, that is so important. When we read the word, when we give in our tithes and offerings, and when we hear the word of God preached, that is such an important part of our worship. And so we just want to make sure, and I'm so thankful for all of these that are working behind the scenes. If we'd had uh, uh, folks here, I, I could have just stood here and, and kept talking, but that's not possible right now. And so thank you so much for your patience. And, and I'm, I, I know and believe that what Satan intends for harm, God will intend for good and so you, let's jump back in here now and let's continue in worship. Lord, thank you again for the joy of getting to preach your word. And Father, we pray again for lives to be changed. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. If you'll open your scripture with me to that passage of scripture, this is the first word that Jesus spoke from the cross. And so let's go to Luke 23, verse 34. Pick up now in verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the first word that Jesus spoke from the cross and it helps us to understand the full scope of what Jesus came to do. First of all, take those first three words, Father, forgive them. The very first one to whom Jesus turned on the cross is his Father because God is the author of our salvation. We must start there. The second word, forgive, helps us to understand what the cross is all about. The cross is about forgiveness. The cross is not about Jesus setting a good example of helping other people. The cross is not a tragic misunderstanding, but instead the cross is about forgiveness. Jesus has been preaching forgiveness from the moment he arrived on the scene. When the paralytic was lowered through the roof, if you remember, Jesus said to that man lying on the mat, Son, your sins are forgiven. When he taught his disciples how to pray, he taught them, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. When Peter asked Jesus how many times should we forgive, Jesus taught him 70 times 7. When the sinful woman anointed Jesus with the alabaster ointment, Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then when Jesus had that last supper, that last Passover meal with his disciples, when he poured the the wine, he said, drink ye of it, all of you. For this is my blood in the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. When we come to this first word on the cross, we understand that the cross is about forgiveness. Father, that's where it begins. Forgive them. And we have to understand in this first word, we see Jesus is the great high priest who stands in our behalf, in our behalf of the guilty, as he pleads with the Father. Father, forgive them. And please hear me that state, that at the end of that statement, for they know not what they do. It is not an issue of whether or not we have sinned. The issue is that we don't fully understand the implication of what it means to reject the only Son of God. We don't fully understand the fullest implication of our sin, that our sin separates us from God. Father, forgive them. When we get to the second word, we see that that prayer that Jesus offered in his first prayer, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We see that in the second word, that prayer is already answered. We see a salvation of a sinner and we see then that over history, hundreds of millions have followed the example of this one. Look with me in that same chapter, Luke chapter 23 and go down with me now. To verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said... Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. When Jesus says those words, that word paradise, he takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the original paradise. And if you remember in that original Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God. They walked with him, they talked with him, and then Adam and Eve rebelled. They sinned against the holy God, and they were thrown out of the presence, that near presence, fellowship, and communion that they had with the Father. It had now been broken, and here on the cross, Jesus is saying to this sinner and to all those who will believe on him today, you will be with me in paradise. Reconciliation only comes through Jesus Christ. He came to forgive us of our sins and he came to open up the path so that that sin that had broken our fellowship with the Father can now, that fellowship can be restored. And this thief, this sinner, He represents every single one of us because he simply shows us the way that all of us come to Jesus Christ. If you remember, we have to admit that we're a sinner and this thief did that exact same thing. We are under the same condemnation. He understands that it is not a matter of whether or not I'm neutral right now because none of us are neutral. But instead he says we are under condemnation and my sin that I have committed, I stand condemned before God. And he understands that he deserves what he's getting justly. And I have to understand that my sin has caused me to deserve death. The very God who has given me life, I've rebelled against him and I deserve to die. I want you to understand that's the same steps we have to take, admit that we're a sinner, understand that we deserve to die. And then I want you to listen to the faith that this thief expressed. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This thief got what the religious leaders, what the Jewish authorities, what they had all missed. He looked into the face of this man who was struggling to breathe just like him, who was bleeding just like him, and he saw with the eyes of faith, this is the king. And Jesus is the king who opens access to his kingdom to all those who believe. This thief put his faith in Jesus Christ. It's the way that we all come. The third word, the third word may be the most tender of all the words that are spoken. Go with me to John chapter 19. In John chapter 19, we pick up in verse 25. The scripture says, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. In this third word, We see the perfect son who helps us to have a new understanding of family. I love this third word from the cross. In the midst of all the pain and suffering that Jesus is going through, he lives out again the very words that he had spoken to his disciples when he said, for I came not to be served, but to serve Jesus thought more highly of others than he did of himself. And we see in this third word in the midst of the horrible agony that he's going through that his thoughts were on his mother and on the disciple whom he loved. We also understand that every responsibility that Jesus had on earth, every earthly responsibility he had fulfilled. And now this final responsibility that he had to his mother to take care of her, he does. He is not only the perfect son of God, he is the perfect son. But boy, in this last thing, I want us to understand, Jesus did not appeal to his half-brothers to take care of their earthly mother. But instead, Jesus opens up to us a whole new understanding of family. Whenever we see these words, woman, behold your son, we are understanding that Jesus is saying to John, John, here's a whole new relationship. Folks, in the church, the family of God We have a kinship. We have a relationship that is just as strong, if not stronger, than our earthly relationships. Whenever Jesus was in a crowded room one time and they said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here to see you. Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he answered, he said, the ones who do the will of my father, that's my mother. That's my brothers. Friends, I want you to know that's the relationship that Jesus is opening up to us in Christ. We have a whole new understanding of family. It is not about an earthly relationship. It is about a spiritual relationship in Christ. If the third word is the tenderest, the fourth is without a doubt the most, most agonizing of all the words. Go with me to Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 27. In Matthew chapter 27, we also have to understand the full context of what is happening at this very moment of this fourth word. Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 45, the scripture says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? One of the theologians I read said that there is a mystery behind this cry that we cannot penetrate. Again, we have to understand what is happening at this point. The scripture says that from the sixth hour, that means noon, until the ninth hour, three hours, there was a veil that God drew over all of creation. There was complete darkness There were three statements that Jesus made before the darkness. There were three statements that Jesus made after the darkness had been lifted. There was only one thing that Jesus said during this three hours. Sometimes we use phrases such as unspeakable suffering. And I want you to know, I believe what what was happening was this was not only unspeakable, but it was also unseeable suffering. That God would not allow us to see the agony and the suffering that his son was going through for those three hours. Throughout much of the, of the scripture, darkness is symbolic of sin and judgment. And so friends, here's what we believe was taking place when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Had encountered every temptation, yet was without sin. He had gone through every trial and suffering that you and I will ever go through. He had experienced the failure of friends, and he had experienced the hatred of enemies. He had gone through ridicule and mockery. Jesus had gone through what it feels like for someone not to believe in you, even members of your own family. He had gone through every searing pain of every human experience that we can ever have. But up until this moment, there was one experience that he had not gone through. And that was the consequence of sin. There are so many things that our sin does that are so awful. But the worst thing that our sin does is it separates us from our God and at that moment Jesus experienced separation from his father so that we could experience reconciliation my God my God why have you forsaken me the fifth and the sixth words are in the language that Jesus Single word statements. The fifth and the sixth word are both words that are so common to all of us. And by being single word statements, first of all, it helps us to understand that that is what we would expect of someone who is so close to death. And so join me in John's gospel. Back in chapter 19, And we read in verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And here we see the son of man in his full humanity, revealing to us and meeting our deepest spiritual need. When we hear Jesus say, I thirst, we have to understand the distance that our God traveled to show his love for us. This is Jesus. The scripture says, through whom, for whom, and by whom all things were made That means every brook of water, every stream of water, every creek, every river, every lake, every pond, every drop of water that this world has ever known, every time it has rained, it is our God who has released that rain, who has released every drop of that water. And now we see that Jesus through whom all things are made. We see him dying of thirst. It was Spurgeon who said, let us never forget the infinite distance between the Lord of glory on his throne and the crucified dried up with thirst. Jesus experienced everything that we have experienced as a human being and is now condescending himself to the point of experiencing dying of thirst. This is the living water. Friends, we can have water at our disposal all of our lives. We are so blessed to have water always within reach. And yet we can go through life always having water at our disposal and yet never understand our deepest spiritual need is our soul thirst for God. And Jesus is showing us he is fully human. And he came to meet our deepest spiritual need, our soul thirst for God. The sixth word is also a single statement and it's right there in John's gospel, John 19. The scripture says in verse 30, when Jesus had finished the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. When we read this sixth word it is finished again it is a single word tetelestai. And I want us to understand what all is encompassed in this single word it is finished. It means that every requirement of the law Jesus had satisfied it is finished. It means every prophecy that had been spoken to him, about him, about his life, has been fulfilled. It means that every task that God gave him to do, he has done every word that God told him to speak, he has proclaimed. He has satisfied and accomplished and finished every task that God gave him to do, every aspect of the Father's will Jesus had done. We see the Son of God in His full deity finishing, completing the work of salvation. There was absolutely nothing else that Jesus needed to do. But we also understand in that word, it is finished. We also understand that the work of salvation is not a joint effort between God and man, but it is solely the work of grace by our Savior, Jesus Christ. All other religions in the world, a general summary statement of every other religion in the world would be the statement, do It is only in Christianity that the all-sufficient statement that sums up Christianity is done. It is finished. You and I cannot add any works to the work of atonement that Jesus Christ did on the cross. I don't try to throw my good works in. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Jesus said it is is finished. And I want you to know that as he said that word, I believe that the words I thirst were just a, 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 almost a softened, hardly able to get them out. But the scripture tells us that when he said I thirst, it was a cry of victory. He shouted it. All of those who were, were able to hear what he said would have heard those words and would have known how common they are. Please hear this. Every time a Roman citizen would pay a bill and receive a receipt back, on that receipt there would be a single word, tetelestai, which means paid in full. Every time a priest would receive a sacrificial animal, that priest would examine that sacrificial animal. And if that that lamb was faultless, he would pronounce tetelestai. It has been examined and found to be faultless. Every time a slave finished his task, he would report back to the master with the word tetelestai. It is finished. That is the word Jesus spoke. It is now incoming upon us That we come simply before Jesus Christ saying, Lord, I know I have sinned and I am not going to try to save myself with my good works, which is impossible. But instead, I rest my eternity. I rest my daily life. I rest the forgiveness of my sins upon the life and the work of Jesus Christ who gave his life for me. It is finished. And in that last word, we return to Luke's gospel. And in Luke 23, verse 46, if you'll go with me to that last passage of Scripture, the Scripture tells us that Jesus then said this word, Luke 23, 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. The very first word that Jesus spoke from the cross was a prayer to his Father, and now he returns. Father, which sets the example for us in our life, open and close your day, your week, your month, your year, your life. Going to the Father, Father. And then listen, into your hands. Friends, we live in a world right now who want to say that after a person dies, there is nothingness, there is a void, there is simply non-existence. Jesus did not say, Father, into the grave, He did not say into the nothingness. He did not say into the void, not into the non-existence. But Jesus said, Father, into your hands, into your hands, would you please understand that right now you can place your life into the hands of the Father. Father, into your hands, I commit my Spirit And the most important thing you will ever understand is that your spirit will continue on after you die. Your soul is eternal. Where will your soul be? Father into your hands, I commit my spirit. There are occasions when I get to do a graveside service. As a matter of fact, I did it just recently for our brother Jim Wallace. That in that last prayer, I pray at the graveside. I will say, and Father, now, just as our Savior said from the cross, We say to you, Father, into your hands. We commit our brother in Christ, Jim Wallace. And friends, I want you to know that point right there is not the first point of when we committed Jim to the Lord. But the reason that we are able to say those words right there is because earlier in Jim's life, he put his faith in Jesus Christ. And what we see in our Savior Jesus Christ is that perfect fellowship with the Father so that at the end of his life, Jesus is showing us how to die. Father, into your hands. He is showing us the confidence, the assurance of Father, I am coming home to you. And you can know that same confidence, that same assurance. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. It's the way to die, but it is the way to live right now. Would you simply do what that thief did on the cross? Understand that you're a sinner. And that because of our sin, we deserve to die. Put your faith in Jesus Christ, who died for you. And right now, would you commit, Father, into your hands? I put my life, my soul, my all. I give it to you. Right now, you can pray, and I'm going to lead you in that prayer. And I want to encourage you, if right now you are putting your faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone as your Savior, would you call the church office, that phone number 682-1636, email us, text us. But would you let someone know today, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father. I pray that right now, someone is calling out to you. Lord, I know I am a sinner. And I understand that because of my sin I deserve to die. And Lord, I turn I repent. Jesus, I give my life to you. I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of all my sins. I will follow you. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Lord, I pray that right now someone is praying to receive Christ. And Lord, I pray for believers that are listening that, Lord, we would recommit our hearts to you to the one who condescended himself and gave himself for us, that, Lord, we would live our life wholly and completely unto you. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for salvation. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.